Hey friends, welcome back to the Sunny and 65 podcast. I'm your host, Maddie Schultz, and today we are joined by Kent Sovine. He is currently the Assistant District Superintendent for the Mid-America Region of the CMA denomination. This conversation was wildly impactful for my soul, and I pray it is for yours too. Enjoy. All right, friends, today I am joined by Kent Sovine. Hey, Kent. How are you doing, Maddie? I am good. So I do not know Kent personally. Well, I'm going to. I'm about to after the 30 questions I'm about to ask him about his life. But we just officially met a few minutes ago, and I've gotten the privilege to hear Kent preach a handful of times, wildly impactful, wildly encouraged by him preaching the the word. And um, yeah, but I got lots of questions for him, and I'm so excited that he's here with us today. So Kent, can you tell us the the quick gist about yourself? Yeah, great to be with you, Maddie. Uh, fun to be able to think of your 30 questions <laughs> and all the opportunity to talk through it all. I uh, live here in Omaha. My wife, Jamie, and I have been married almost 24 years. Wow. Uh, be 24 years here in just a few weeks. Well, dated for six years prior to that. So I don't wow. feel that old, but we've done about 30 years of life together. And uh, why did it take you six years journey. to propose? I uh, we we started dating when she was fourteen. Okay, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> so she, was, I was sixteen. She she was a, almost a, ready to turn fifteen. Okay, and her dad said she wasn't allowed to date until she turned sixteen. So somehow he let that slide a year and a half early. Amazing. Uh, and then we went off to college, both went to the same school down in Georgia, and just felt like we were going to do college journey without being married. Two weeks after graduation, we got married and wow. got on with life. So since then, have five kids. I got four girls. Amazing. Uh, a college freshman down to a fourth grader. Wow. And then we have one son who's right smack in the middle of all of them, uh, freshmen in high school. Uh, live here in Omaha. Get to work in a, in a district office for a family of churches known as the Christian Missionary Alliance and uh, primarily get to do stuff with new things, church planting, new leaders, People feeling God's call on their life to head to the mission field or mm. go launch a new work in the next town over. Mm. I get to run with them. That's awesome. How long have you been doing that? Almost eight years now. Wow. What were you doing before that? I uh, spent about 15 years as a local church pastor, uh, most of it up in a, a town in Northeast Iowa. What um, town? A place called Charles City okay. that you've only ever been through if you were lost. <laughs> Like it's on the way to nowhere. Okay. Uh, but we we moved there about two years after Jamie and I got married, and that was home. Our kids were all born in Iowa. Never expected to leave. Loved what we were doing. God showed up in our lives and said, I've got a next season for you. Wow. Brought us to Omaha eight years ago. So cool. Tell us about when you came to know and follow Jesus. Yeah. Uh, would have grown up in a home where Jesus was the center. Uh, and so from a very young age would have known who Jesus was. Mm. I, I don't have a distinct um, sort of moment where all of a sudden I came to know Jesus. Yeah. It, it was more, I, I had heard of Jesus my entire life, mm -hmm. 
can remember as a little kid, about eight years old, kneeling beside my bed with my mom, inviting the Lord to take my life and just committing myself to Him. Uh, so it happened at a very young age, in large part because of the atmosphere I grew up in, cool. um, which was a, a crazy story now that I understand where that atmosphere came from. Mm. Uh, I come from a long line of a lot of really messy stuff. Mm. So the the Sovine family going back the last few generations has been a, a train wreck in a lot of ways. Um, and in the midst of that, my dad, uh, my dad watched a Billy Graham sermon, wow. commits his life to Jesus, and to this day he just calls it the pivot. Wow. That it was the it was the point in time where for the generations of train wreck to that to that moment, dad said it's it's gonna change. Mm. And so I should have grown up in a hyper abusive alcoholic kind of family, knowing nothing about Jesus. Wow. Until that moment that the pivot came. Wow, praise God. Shifted everything. And so the world I grew up in isn't the world that I should have grown up in. Wow. And um, then did you, when did you know that the Lord was calling you to be a pastor? From then yeah. on, do you feel like even in high school, you were on fire for Jesus or in college? What'd that look like? Yeah. Uh, it was a, a two month period of time with a lot of crazy. So met Jamie, my wife. Uh, we started dating. She was 14 mm -hmm. back in that day. <laughs> Uh, two months later, I was at a youth conference out at Colorado State University and 5,000 students in an arena. The speaker was talking about serving the Lord in full-time ministry, invited kids to come forward who, who felt like God was calling them. It was one of those moments where I thought, you know, I got to go. Mm. And I'm way up in the top of this arena, making my way down to the floor committed my life to ministry. I have a twin brother cool. who was in the room at the time. A few minutes after I got down there, he came down. Wow. And then I've got an older brother who was actually a youth pastor at the time, was in the room. He comes down, finds the two of us, and uh, we just sort of devoted ourselves to the Lord together. Wow. That was 1992. And fascinating little story with that. My older brother, as we were praying, he said, Lord, if we could ever do it together, that'd be pretty fun. And so I now sit in a chair in a district office, uh, Colorado, Nebraska, Iowa, Kansas, and Missouri are sort of my territory. Mm -hmm. My twin brother does the exact same thing I do in a district office in Indianapolis. No way. So he's got Illinois and Indiana, and then my older brother... Cool. Does the exact same thing in uh, central Ohio. So he's got CMA? Ohio and West Virginia. Yeah. Whoa. So we all, <laughs> 20 some years into the journey, find ourselves uh, somehow sitting in these exact same roles. So cool. never could have planned it out. Couldn't have strategized our way into it. But that's amazing. We found ourselves in a breakfast room in a hotel recently. Just had a moment where the three of us are just grabbing coffee and thought, hmm, the Lord answered the prayer. And wow. now we get to do stuff together all the time. I love so, that. Pretty cool. So cool. What does following Jesus in the day-to-day -day look like for you? Yeah. 
Uh, it's a great question. And I, um, I don't know, Maddie, that I've got a, a real specific answer for you in large part because I, I think following Jesus in the day-to-day is simply following Jesus in the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have my rhythms. Mm-hmm. I get up at a time of day that I don't want to get up at mm. uh, so I can just get some quiet space before the Lord, that whole thing. But the reality is I want to, I want to walk uh, intimately with him all throughout the day. And so whether I'm showing up at lunch with somebody or I'm walking into my office, whatever it might be, just trying to stay in step, be attentive to the Lord, be attentive to his voice. Um, dream would be that by the time my head hits a pillow at night, I'm able to look back and say, yeah, I walked well with Jesus today. Mm, I love that. What is one habit that you've cultivated that's changed your life? Uh, the greatest is trying to hear the hear the Lord's voice, mm-hmm. which is one of those little statements that can wig people out pretty quick, like, oh, <laughs> you're that kind of a guy. <laughs> uh, the reality is um, I would see myself as one of the most down-to-earth, I don't have some crazy uh, experiential faith journey mm-hmm. as much as John 10, 27. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice, Mm. which for me implies he must be wanting to say something to us. Mm. And I'm grateful for the written word. I'm grateful for the scriptures that I can open anytime I want. But I also think there are times where the shepherd just wants to show up and and speak directly to his people. Mm. And so trying to be attentive, what does that mean to, uh, to just be quiet enough? To get alone enough with the Lord and just listen. Um, and so it's a habit that I have, taking very specific questions. I don't do good with like, Jesus, what do you want for my future kind of questions? Because uh, my brain will fill that with so mm-hmm. much noise. But trying to ask very specific questions around things that I'm facing, situations I'm supposed to walk into. Lord Jesus, am I supposed to am I supposed to have this conversation? Do you want me to make that phone call? Mm. Am I supposed to go there? Am I supposed to do that? And then just learning to listen. Mm. And so I've really tried to cultivate attentiveness to the Lord in that. So cool. How long do you feel like you've been doing that? For a decade? Or do you feel like recently, last couple of years? Or what's that looked like? And what did it look like when you first were like, I want to be listening for his voice? Did you have some times that maybe it was frustrating and you're like, oh, I feel like I am not hearing him. And I'm sure maybe there's still those times. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if I had a specific time where it was, okay, now I'm going to start this Mm -hmm. habit. For me, it would have sounded really weird when people would have talked to me about listening for the Lord's voice. Mm. Uh, which then would have kicked me into some sort of spiritual insecurity, right? Yeah. Where I where I would have thought, well, I don't I don't hear his voice. I don't even know what that means. Read a book um, by the guy that started YWAM Youth with mm-hmm. a Mission. Um, I don't remember the name of it. Hearing the Lord's voice or something very simple mm-hmm. like that. And I remember getting pretty messed up on that one, of thinking, hmm, this this dude's he's chasing Jesus in a way I'm not. And I want to learn. I want to learn something mm. here. 
Like a good messed up by it? Or was uh, it an ins- For the most part, it was good. I, I certainly would have hit things that then I would turn to the pages of scripture and just scratch my head a bit. Hmm. Uh, so sort of developed a pattern of, I, I want to listen, and then I want to make sure whatever I think I'm hearing, I'm able to open the Bible, hmm. and I'm able to um, maybe not find the exact phrase in there, but I'm able to back it up. Mm-hmm. And then I want to go to the church Um, By the church, I don't mean a Sunday gathering space as much as godly people who are also seeking the Lord Mm. and just see as their confirmation. And if I I sense it in my soul that the Lord is saying it and I can see at least a defense of it in Scripture and I've got other godly people confirming it, I'll I'll chalk that up pretty quick Mm. to say I think the shepherd's speaking to his sheep here. 2006, I had a moment out in the in the Rocky Mountains where I was I was a pastor at the time. I was pretty disillusioned with with what I was doing in the local church. I felt like the church often plays games, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm sitting as a senior pastor in the midst of this. Mm-hmm. And Lord Jesus, I don't I don't want to be playing games. I don't want to be leading people to play games. Mm-hmm. And so was just in a in a difficult spot. Was alone in the mountains. Uh, found a, a spot to just sit on a rock, and I I just said, Lord, I need to hear something. And I just sat quiet. And and probably one of the most clear first times where I felt like, hmm, I I just heard from Jesus, and He simply said, Honor the King and advance the kingdom. And it was just this phrase that kept going through my brain, honor the king and advance the kingdom. I'm I'm struggling with feeling like I'm playing games. Mm. The church is playing games. I don't want to play games. Can't just go honor the king and advance the kingdom. Probably the most pivotal moment for me in terms of hearing the Lord's voice, which then led to uh, a greater intentionality. Mm. Which, interestingly, five years later, almost to the day, I was back in the exact same spot. Uh, This time I had stopped at a Walmart in Loveland, Colorado and bought myself a $7 fake leather journal Mm -hmm. because I knew that like spiritual people journal, right? Mm -hmm. So I buy this journal, take it back up there into the mountains, and I, I just started to write, Lord, this is where you told me, honor the king and advance the kingdom. I said, now what? Clear as day. I felt like the Lord said, now do it for the district, mm, which cool. is a story for another day. But it it ultimately led to, I'm now doing it for the district. Wow. Which, pretty crazy what all's now in that journal and how much the Lord has graciously said over the years. So cool. That's so encouraging. And I think... You you said this a few times, uh, specifically when you're on that mountain, you're quiet and you're listening for him. You know, I feel like so often, especially with just the noise of all the things in my generation, people are like, I'm not hearing from him. Go be by yourself with him and be quiet. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're so, no, it's so noisy, but get away yeah. and be with him. Yeah. 
Okay, what is a lie that you've believed that God has had to or maybe still is uprooting in your heart? Yeah, you ask really good questions, Maddie. <laughs> good. That uh, uh, that question right there forces you to have to stop, and it forces you to have to pay attention to what is the stuff that runs through my mind's. Mm-hmm. I often refer to it as the tape that plays, which mm-hmm. your generation knows nothing about tapes that play, but just this idea of this repeated phrases or repeated statements. And I think interestingly, what you just said about noise is one of the greatest uh, pieces for me. I feel like the enemy has told me repeatedly, you have to be getting stuff done. Mm. That to simply stop, to just rest, to just be, to be quiet, to be still, none of that is natural for me or comfortable for me. Mm. And and I've realized over the years, that, that's the enemy of my soul who's got me convinced I've got to be accomplishing stuff or or somehow I'm not doing what I should be doing. Mm. And I would say I still have to deal with that. What does it look like for you to combat that lie when it does come up and you're like, oh, wait, you're pushing against it? Yeah, I appreciate Jesus' model in the desert when Satan is tempting him, that he Mm -hmm. just turned back to Scripture and started to let that run through the conversation and through his thoughts. Be still and know that I am God Mm. would be the greatest response to just be still. And know that I am God. Okay, what's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, My older brother, uh, about six years older than me, I was just starting college. And he wrote a letter uh, to me and to my twin brother, which Mm. Sovine brothers don't write letters to (laughs) each other. It just isn't a thing. So it was was very striking that he did that. But in that letter, he he used the phrase that many people have said over the years, don't just know about him, go get to know him. Mm. And probably the greatest advice I've ever heard. Because I, I know a lot about Jesus, but this idea of knowing him intimately, pretty crazy. And then I bump across John 17 three years later where Jesus says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's somehow the the quality of eternal life is knowing him, which has a lot of interesting ties back into Genesis and Adam knowing his wife kind of mm-hmm. language and mm-hmm. study that on another occasion. But there's this idea of just of just intimacy with the Lord, of knowing the Lord deeply. Mm. By far the greatest, the greatest advice I've ever ever been given. Don't just know about him. Go get to know him. Mm. That's good. And it re- reminds me back to what you just said even before about the lie the enemy was trying to continually Absolutely. plays in your mind of you must be doing something. And I feel like the Lord just permeated my heart with John 17, three and probably the last like year and a half. Mm. Cause I would say I struggle with uh, that similar thing of 
not just being able to be, I feel like I got to do. And it, a couple of years ago when the Lord had, I think it's in Luke, pop out on the page. Uh, many will get to the, get to heaven and say, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? And I'll say, depart from me. I did not know yeah, you. Yeah. And that just like, well, the Lord used that in a gracious way to be like, Maddie, you could have this podcast. You could be saying all these things. Eternal life is to know me, to just be, to just sit still and know me and be with me and have a relationship with me. Yeah. Yeah. There's an interesting book out there I've recommended to a lot of people. I don't even know that you could find it anymore, but the guy does a theology of rest Hmm. uh, and, and in it, he distinguishes idleness from sort of Sabbath rest. Cool. Very, very powerful. Because the lie that I believe I've got to be getting stuff done, then you grow up hearing, well, you're supposed to take a Sabbath every week, which is a day of rest, which for me translated to, I'm supposed to sit on the couch and Mm -hmm. do nothing. And so now I'm burning a day watching TV because I'm resting. And this guy, this guy did a brilliant job of helping just paint a picture of, no, that's idleness. Mm. And it's not rest. And it was so freeing to to just study the idea of resting in the Lord, which doesn't mean I have to be sitting on a couch doing nothing. Yeah, I can go be hiking in the mountains Mm -hmm. and it's the most restful thing in the world. Be still and know I am God. Mm. Uh, I translated that to idleness. Mm. And now, now I see it through the lens of learning how to rest which is super fun. So cool. What's the book called again? It's called Buy a Cabin. Buy B? B-U-Y. Okay. Because that's what the guy did. He was like, I am terrible at rest and I don't Sabbath well at all. So he legit goes and buys a cabin back on on the backside of Pikes Peak in Colorado. Wow. Sits right on a reservoir. He can hike. He can fish. He can just go sit on the porch, and so he's he's not saying you got to go buy a cabin. Yeah, but that's his picture of how he pulled off legit rest. Cool. So a few years ago, I took my family and I stayed in this cabin. No way. Which was great. And I thought, okay, that this is this. There's something legit here uh, to how this guy has thought through things. Yeah. What has Sabbath looked like for you since the Lord's been showing you what that true rest looks like? And do you practice a Sabbath? I do. Uh, It's a little different in my world these days because my schedule is never the same. Mm -hmm. So I, I travel quite a bit. I, I preach quite a bit in different churches and it just, my schedule varies so much. So I have to be intentional about putting X's on my calendar Mm -hmm. where Literally, I'll just go in and X out days and and say I'm not I'm not doing anything mm-hmm. for work that day. Uh, but the idea of rest for me now is very tied to recreation, and if I say it just a little different, it's tied to recreation. Mm-hmm. And so, asking the question, what is going to recreate my soul? What's going to bring refreshment to my soul? to my family, to my relationships with my wife and my kids? What am I going to walk away from and say, oh, that was a good day right there? 
and, and try to do those things. And for me, it's often going to be tied to something outside, just going and being outside somewhere. So cool. Do your kids practice it with you or your wife, or does that just depend on the week or when? Yeah. Yeah. We don't have uh, some sort of staunch discipline of everybody does this on Fridays Mm -hmm. kind of thing. But we do a lot of stuff together as a family. Mm. Uh, love being together. Love to go places together. If I tell my kids, hey, we're going out to the woods for the day, they'll get pretty excited pretty quick. Mm. I love that. Cool. Okay, so marriage. Can you give us a piece of marriage advice for the married folk out there and or just the best marriage advice that you've ever received? 30 mm. years almost. Yeah. 24, but yeah. the sixth dating. That's a long time. Yeah. I don't know that people date for six years anymore. <laughs> no, unless they started dating in high school and waited until, yeah. but yeah. I don't know that they have 14-year-old daughters either. Because <laughs> when your daughter hits 14, you're like, yeah, you're <laughs> not getting that? married or yeah. dating for a long, long time. Oh. I trust my daughter's going to listen to this. <laughs> I don't know where this first came from. Uh, would have often heard marriage is a is a fifty fifty kind of relationship, right? That mm-hmm. you each need to give your your half to make this thing work. And somebody stepped into that equation and said, "No, you really need to see marriage as a hundred percent, even if the return on the investment is zero. Mm-hmm. and i I have found that incredibly challenging and very, very life-giving. In, in my wife and I's relationship, that I should serve her. I should seek to bless her. I should cherish her. I should love her, irrespective of what happens next. Mm-hmm. That, that's just who I'm, who I'm called to be as her husband. And I've, I've appreciated the challenge of that. Uh, do I get it right? Doubtful. Uh, but I appreciate the challenge of trying to live into that standard mm. as compared to some sort of here's what I give with the expectation of here's what I receive in return. Yeah. Uh, I happen to be married to an incredible woman. <laughs> and so maybe that m- makes it a greater experience overall, but uh, serving her faithfully. Cool. I love that. What are some rhythms that you've cultivated or did cultivate in your family? I guess you're still raising kiddos. You have a fourth grader, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Um, That you feel like, or maybe at this point you've seen, have made a difference. Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I are at a place where uh, we're hesitant on the parental advice giving. Mm. In large part because we're still still very much in process. (laughs) And... Just want to be careful that totally. we stay in a posture of <laughs> learners mm-hmm. and question askers more than advice givers. Um, we have sought to be very intentional with our kids in a lot of ways. We're not a we're not a super rigid family. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you start asking me questions about when we do family devotions and those mm-hmm. kinds of things, I'm gonna probably pull out a little Deuteronomy 6 language and and say our real dream is, back to your first question, that our kids would just learn to walk with Jesus mm-hmm. in all of life. 
more than we did our 20 minutes in the living room together and checked a box. And so with that, Jamie and I have years ago had to sit down and ask, what is our main ambition when it comes to parenting our children? Is it going to be their academics? Is it going to be their athleticism? Is it going to be their musical talents? What are we going to prioritize? What are we going to sort of spur them into? And we decided years ago, if nothing else pans out for our kids, but they know, love, and follow Jesus, we're going to call it the greatest win in the world, Mm. which then shifts what we spend our time talking about. It shifts what we spend our time celebrating. It shifts how we parent our kids when it comes to behavior. I understand why the parent screams their head off at their at their little kid in Walmart, right? The kid's misbehaving. I typically walk away from those scenarios feeling like it's a greater reflection on the parent than it is on the child. <laughs> And what the parent ultimately is trying to do is just modify the kid's behavior because you're making me look bad, Mm -hmm. right? Trying to really wrestle through all that kind of thinking, wrestle through the thinking of, I didn't quite accomplish everything I wish I would have accomplished in the sports world, so Mm -hmm. my kids are going to excel. And and push away and say, what does it look like to prioritize them just knowing Jesus, following Jesus? Be attentive to your grades, sure. I'm going to help you with your academics, sure. But son, just really want you to pursue Jesus, and and not a not a list of do's and don'ts, but pursue Him. The idea of hearing the Lord's voice is something that uh, we would stress with our kids, because there's going to come a day where my kids no longer can hear my voice. Mm. I'm not there on Friday night. Uh, with whatever environment my daughter's in or my son's in, what if they what if they grew up knowing how to just hear him, be sensitive to him, respond to his spirit and conviction and prompting and leading? So we've tried to prioritize those kinds of things, and in that, figure out when do we need to sit in the living room together? Hey, y'all, we we need to have a little time together. And we'll get together and open the Bible together or pray together or just talk it through much more than some sort of uh, every Monday at six. Yeah. Yeah. We do eat a lot together, do a lot of meals together. We do have some pretty strict like technology guidelines in that. What are those? Uh, Like don't bring your phone to the table. Mm -hmm. Like it just never happens. The kids would know that would not go well. Maybe, maybe should throw this out there, Maddie. We are, we do try to figure out what does it look like to raise our kids to live in a very fallen world without constantly dangling the fallenness in their faces. Mm. And so our kids would often be the kid that doesn't have access to the newest social media, whatever. Because we look at it and say, yeah. you just you just don't need to have to deal with that. You're going to yeah. battle enough in life. You don't need to battle that one. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to turn the TV on. They're probably going to have to get mom or dad to come punch in a, a passcode to mm-hmm. be able to watch anything. Yeah, Those kinds of things that 
some may some may look at it and say, well, that's just legalism, and your kid needs to grow up experiencing the world. And we kind of look at it and say, they're going to taste enough of the world naturally. Yeah. And so try to make our home a bit of a haven, mm. a, a space where Jesus is welcome and and our kids don't have to fight fights they really shouldn't have to fight. Mm. I love that. That was all so encouraging. And I think you probably freed up me and possibly some young parents listening of like what you said. We don't have these rigid things. We do life with Jesus. And I am pretty sure at least I, I've heard amazing things about your oldest daughter that goes to our church, mm-hmm. that she's gotten to see you live your life following Jesus. And by God's grace, those things are permeated into your kids' hearts, not just Monday at six, this, which isn't bad if you are a sure. schedule person sure. and people, but that I know that frees up my heart a lot. And it's such a sweet reminder. Yeah. Show your kids what it looks like yeah. to know God. Yeah. And I love that reminder that you're cultivating them hearing from God. That's such a good reminder for me of in my own home of doing that. So Mm -hmm. thanks for sharing those things. Those are really helpful. Yeah. If you could go back, what would you tell 18-year-old Kent Sovine? Yeah. (laughs) Well, he was a knucklehead. So (laughs) it's probably a lot I should say. Uh, Interestingly, Maddie, I, I would go back and say, enjoy the journey. Mm. Uh, I'm not a big Enneagram guy, mm-hmm. so I've had people try to explain to me who I am and <laughs> what that means in Enneagram, yeah. Enneagram terms. So they would say I'm a one and I just need to chill out. Uh, very, very fair assessment. Mm-hmm. And I I do life pretty, I'm pretty intentional and that can't always that doesn't always lead to just enjoying the journey. Mm. Um I can miss a lot of moments. Mm. Tied to the lie you got to perform probably um I'm convinced we all have some level of insecurity. I'd walk into most rooms and mm. feel like I I probably am the winner in terms of the amount of insecurity I carry. And in the midst of that, I just, I don't think I've spent enough time just chill out and enjoy. Mm. Um, so I'd, I'd probably tell that cool. to the 18 year old. Okay. Can you tell us about the fourfold gospel? I talked to a PC3 college gal from our church, Providence after their retreat, which you were the speaker at. And she said that it was so helpful. So I'm excited for just my one-on-one explanation yeah, from you. Can you share yeah. that with us? Uh, super fun invitation to get to come spend a weekend with college students. Oh, I was jealous. Just talking about Jesus. And was great to see the the hunger in that room, the life in that room, the, the devotion to Jesus in that room. Uh, so cool. was a great opportunity. Had a... A handful of them in my living room a few weeks later, mm-hmm. and a guy grabs my daughter's guitar and just starts to go for it, and all of a sudden lead my family and all these other students wow. in a time of worship. And I thought, ah, wow. it's just good to see college students who just deeply love him and mm-hmm. and want to pursue him. And so to get an invitation, invitation to come 
talk for four sessions on Jesus was great. Fourfold Gospel got birthed in the late 1800s. There was a Presbyterian pastor who was reaching immigrants uh, for Jesus. Cool. Starts to invite them into the worship gatherings of the church that he was the pastor of, and his elders called a meeting to tell him, we don't want those people in our gatherings. <laughs> Didn't sit real well with the pastor, and so he told him, if you don't want them, you don't want me, mm-hmm. and and resigned. Finds himself with about 15 people gathered around a wood-burning stove, praying, Lord Jesus, now what? And and it, it gave birth to this thing called the Christian Missionary Alliance Family of Churches. Mm. In the midst of that, they just start chasing Jesus earnestly. Uh, they knew him as Savior, uh, but they realized there is more to Jesus than just, I, I know his salvation. And so they started to explore scripture, figure out who this spirit is. Uh, trying to engage with the idea of the Spirit doing a deeper work in their lives. And so they they would say, we started to get to know Jesus as sanctifier, the mm-hmm. one who is setting them apart unto the Lord for greater things. Mm-hmm. Along the way, this pastor hits a brick wall physically, gets crazy sick, starts to explore Scripture, asking the question, what's Jesus got to do with sickness? experiences miraculous healing, Mm. and so started to share that with others, talking about Jesus as healer, and and the whole thing, everything these folks were a part of was all about Jesus is coming again, and and we want to help as much of the world be ready uh, for that day. And so they started to talk about Jesus as coming king. Mm. So Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and coming king— and it just became a way of sharing sort of a, a full picture of Jesus with the people that they were trying to reach. Eventually gets coined with the term fourfold gospel. Not meant to be some new or mm-hmm. different gospel as much as a way to just sort of capture the fullness of Jesus. Mm. So it's it's interesting if you take time to to ask the question, is there a potential fifth fold? Like, mm. what doesn't the fourfold capture? I've had a hard time coming up with it. Mm. And I have found it to be uh, just a great picture of Jesus. And, and uh, again, back to doing life with him. Because you need more than his salvation. You need his transformation. Mm. And... And you're going to hit some brick walls and you're going to need him to step in, whether it's physical healing or emotional healing or relational healing. And if you'll do it all with the anticipation he's coming again, so we ought to stay after it, it actually becomes a beautiful picture. Mm. So we got to spend a weekend kicking that around with a bunch of college students. That's so cool. And that's so helpful because... Yeah, it brings this full picture of him, and that impacts your day-to-day. That impacts how you're relating to him and your relationship with him. He's not only the one that saved me. Yeah, he's healing, he's transforming, and he's coming again. That impacts how you are engaging with him. Yeah. Did a thing out of John 10 in the midst of it, which is the whole 
passage on Jesus as the good shepherd. And he actually refers to himself in a number of different ways throughout those verses. At one point, he calls himself the gate, that that there are sheep that need to be brought into my sheep pen, and I am the good shepherd to bring them in, and they'll hear my voice. And then he shifts the the imagery, and then he says, actually, let's just, let's just go this way. I'm the gate. And it's this picture of, of Jesus is the way in. The challenge, I think, for a lot of people is they sort of stop at the gate. Mm. They don't go on then to follow him into the life that he has for them. So I, I prayed a prayer. I checked a box. I raised my hand. I had a moment, which is great. But Jesus has got more for you. And, and he's not looking for you to just step inside the gate and stay put. I think it's just, that's just the beginning. He now says, I got, I got the fullness of life for you to go taste. So now I want you to see me as the shepherd and let me take you on a journey. So it's a, the fourfold gospel has been a fun way to talk through the entirety of that journey and sort of Jesus in the midst of all of it. So cool. Can you talk to us about the church in a day and age when lots of people maybe just want to watch online or hop around different churches? Why is committing to specifically a local church body or a local body of believers? um, Why is the church in general important? Yeah, we need hours (laughs) to kick this one around. We'll do that some other day. Maddie, even the way you that that you've worded that question begins to expose the challenge of it. Uh, for me, the very word church is one of the most misused and abused words in Christendom. So amongst mm-hmm. people who claim Christ, the way we use the very word church has done so much damage. To the point that for a lot of people, it it doesn't make sense why you would even ask that. What's wrong with me just sitting on my, on my couch with my feet up watching the service? Well, nowhere in Scripture would you find anything that would remotely paint a picture of the people of God watching something as spectators and calling it the church. Mm. That's just an incredibly unbiblical picture, right? And yet it's how we've used the term for so long. We go to church. Mm. What time does church start? Mom's hollering, hurry up, you're going to be late for church. Mm. You've got church clothes. That's the, that's the church that we go to, that, that mm. building over there with bricks and drywall. Mm. We're going to go to church today. All of that just very common language that we use ultimately led us to a place where church is now building-centered. It's typically Sunday-centered, and sadly, it's often pastor-centered. You go to this place at this time to hear this person do their thing. Mm -hmm. And as we're watching the crumbling of that, as we're sadly watching pastor after pastor fall and wondering how did we get to this point i think so much of it goes back to the way we've understood church 
So if we went back to Scripture and just started to use the language of the Bible, we would not come up with what we have today. Uh, (laughs) This was part of what put me on the mountaintop disillusioned, Mm. saying, I'm playing games, Jesus. (laughs) Mm. We would actually see the church as a people, and we would see them as a people who, who come together to do life together. And they worship together, and they meet one another's needs, and they reach out to the world around them, and they ultimately, they reflect Jesus. That's why he calls the church his body. They ultimately reflect Jesus. And so for me, it's a bit of a non-starter to ask the question, should I, should I actually come back to church, or is it okay for me to just stay in my living room? And I, I can sound pretty crass here, Maddie. I don't, I don't mean to go there because yeah. I love the bride. Yeah. But I want to look at those folks and say that this is just a, this is a really unhealthy conversation we shouldn't even be having. For me, uh, you didn't ask this, and you can cut this out if you want. <laughs> I looked at the coming of the pandemic and as as messy and frustrating and super sad as so much of it has been with all the loss and the pain and the hurt, Mm -hmm. I looked at it saying, oh, but this could be an incredible opportunity for the church to step up and be the church. And it may actually force us out of a bit of our tradition of Mm -hmm. building-centered, Sunday-centered, pastor-centric approach to things because we can't gather in the building Sunday morning's not happening and and you can't go have a relationship with the pastor even if you want to yeah <laughs> and interestingly what most of the American church did at the start of the pandemic was figure out how to hurry up and scramble and turn the Sunday morning thing into an online thing as compared to stopping and asking the question what really is the church supposed to be about mm-hmm. and I I sat on the front end of it thinking, oh, we might actually go get disciple-making figured out, which mm. which really is what we should be focused on, right? We might actually go get that figured out because parents are now forced to disciple their kids. Mm. And, and the only shot you've got at relationship, at least when we were locked down, was whoever lived right around you. Mm-hmm. And we may be forced to be intentional in those relationships. And this may get used to help us mm. focus on disciple making, not centered around the man in the place yeah. on a Sunday morning. I fear we didn't quite <laughs> learn everything we could have learned. And uh makes me a little nervous to say, wonder what it is going to take. <laughs> mm. To call the church back to what we're supposed to really be about. Yeah. So not to be all negative in that, my my personal dream is to take a look at the bride as she is today and say, how do we spur this into more of who Jesus wants the bride to be? Mm-hmm. Not interested in throwing stones, but I yeah. am interested in in challenging yeah. the church and people and leaders a bit Yeah, to say, hey. If we can't open the pages of Scripture and see this, why exactly are we prioritizing it? Recently heard some crazy statistic. It's like 
one point something million dollars per baptism in the American church. In other words, the amount of money we are spending in in the wow. church wow. compared to the return, so to speak. Wow. The statistics work out to be over a million dollars per baptism, which is unfathomable, yeah. right? And makes you have to step back a little bit and say, what what exactly are we doing? Yeah. And what exactly should we be doing? And how might we go get after that? Yeah. Mm. What with with the people that maybe haven't returned from since the pandemic or it's not even about the pandemic. It's more, you know, they're we're an individualistic society and I'm going to do me. Don't worry about me. I'm going to do what I want to do and you can do what you want to do. What risk do we run as Christians? Say these are professing Christians when we aren't a part of the local body. Yeah. A lot. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if I'm just talking to myself, Mm -hmm. so yeah. I'll, I'll I'll invite all of your listeners to exclude themselves from what I'm about to say to me. Mm. <laughs> I I would simply ask myself the question, how well is that working out for you? Mm. So when you talk about the risks, what's the risk of just sort of staying disconnected, not being committed to a local church? I'd simply ask how how is that working out? In my own journey, I can deceive myself real quick mm. to say, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. When the reality is we were designed for relationship, we were designed to live in proximity to people that includes them caring for us, us caring for them. It includes accountability that I've got people who are speaking into my life, who are asking me questions. We, we simply were not meant to do life alone. Question got asked to uh, an old timer who's gone dead now, but he was asked that exact same question in a room where there was a fireplace with a fire burning, and he didn't say a word. He just walked over with tongs, grabbed one piece of of wood out of the fire, and set it in front of the fireplace. Mm. Walked back over and sat down, and the two of them just watched this hot ember turn black, the fire goes out, wow. and nothing more was needed to be said, right? We just weren't designed to live in isolation. So I would encourage people to take the step to go get plugged back in. Yeah. And I would encourage them to recognize it's going to be a family affair. And the family doesn't always do it exactly how you want them to do it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to hit some bumps along the way and... Pastors and church leaders are going to do some dumb stuff along the way, and some people are going to say some dumb stuff, and you're going to get hurt, and people will be disillusioning to you, and all of the things that people throw out as, here's why I don't get plugged into the church, Mm -hmm. all of that stuff is probably true and real. We're called to go be a part of it, Mm -hmm. And, and my encouragement would be roll your sleeves up and help make a difference, but you need to get plugged in. Talk to us about discipleship cultures and why that is important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What I do now with my time and energy, this is at the top of the list. 
if I could help churches, if I could help church leaders think about the creation of a disciple-making culture, I'll, I'll spend every waking moment of my day doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, we've built some training that we've been out doing with church leadership teams. Probably one of the most fruitful things I've been a part of in a long time, cool. in large part because it's it's scratching an itch that the church has. So back to the idea of we have sort of bought into building-centered, Sunday-centered, pastor-centered stuff where the vast majority of the body of Christ sits and watches. Mm -hmm. If we could shift that to say, no, 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 what we're really supposed to be about is making disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. And that is something every one of us as Christ followers are called to engage in. It's not about a professional somebody. It's not about a super skilled or gifted somebody. It's about all of us, which means if the local church is going to do well at it, they're going to have to create a culture where it's just natural. It's a fun study to look at the difference between the programs we run and actually shaping culture, Mm. where programs are something people sign up for. And a handful of people do it. So, hey, we're going to do a discipleship thing for the next eight weeks. Sign up if you want to. And 10 people sign up, do a thing, have a good experience, check a box and move on. As compared to if disciple making is the the culture, then everybody's in on it. And you can't help but to be a part of it because it's, it's just what we do. It's just mm-hmm. who we are. Uh, they would say culture gets shaped by the language you use, the stories you tell, and the things you celebrate, Mm. which is fascinating because as you listen to a lot of what we celebrate in the church, uh, when you listen to a lot of the stories we tell and you listen to the language that we use, you sort of see why we have the culture the vast majority of the American church has. Yeah. Number one celebration is how many people showed up. It was Easter, right? It was, it yeah. was 400 people were there, mm-hmm. as though that's our greatest marker. Mm-hmm. We start celebrating those kinds of things, and then we wonder, why is Sunday morning the thing in the church? Yeah. Well, you start shifting that. Start celebrating disciple makers. Hey, let, me, let me tell you the story of this guy mm. and the way he's discipling his coworker. And let me tell you what's happening in that coworker's home with that guy's son. Mm. And you start telling those stories and you yeah. start celebrating those things. And you start you start just using language around disciple making. It's interesting to watch cultures shift. And I think it's getting back to what Jesus actually asked us to do. Have you gotten to see that firsthand at some of the a lot of the churches that you oversee? Is it easy for you to pinpoint some of the churches that you are seeing that shift? Oh, you're seeing their language, their celebration, maybe opposed to some you're not seeing the culture shift and you're like, oh, the celebrations, the language. Yeah, uh, very much so. The challenge is most of the American church is not doing well at this. And so incremental steps is more of what's being celebrated than full-on culture. Yeah, I could tell the story of a few churches where they are so committed to creating a disciple-making culture 
that most of the American church world would walk into their their gatherings, into their living rooms, into conversations with their leadership and feel like they're on a different planet. Mm. Like, wow. what are you guys doing? Yeah. And interestingly, the models that most of these folks are following are outside the United States, right? So they've they've looked at the church in India. Hmm. They've looked at the church in Vietnam. They've looked at the church in China, places where it's not readily available to have pastors running around yeah. with big buildings and come check me out on Sunday morning yeah. kind of stuff. You just have people out in their own towns and their own villages, often underground, saying, hey, let me tell you about Jesus and let me teach you how to follow him. Hmm. And then why don't you go to the next town over and do it again? Hundreds of thousands of people coming to Jesus in these oh. kinds of places, in large part because they've they've actually chased after disciple making. So we would have we would have a number of settings where people are trying to learn from the global church. Cool. Open the pages of scripture, see a model of it, and figure out what does it look like to do that. Even in Denver, Colorado. Yeah. Uh, so it's fun to see people grabbing hold of it. I think there's enough underlying angst in the church of today. I think there are enough even earnest Christ followers who are sitting in the Sunday gatherings, for instance, just saying there's there's gotta be more than this. And I I think there is a a bit of an awakening around disciple making that's yeah. spreading throughout the American church in a beautiful way. Mm, praise God. Yeah. So kind of along those lines, you're super passionate about kingdom advancement. And that goes back to what God told you on the mountain, yeah. I'm sure. Can you talk yeah, yeah. to us talk to us more about kingdom advancement? Yeah. Yeah, that became a mantra. I, I came away October 2006 from that moment of hearing just honor the king and advance the kingdom. Mm. Got back to my office in Iowa, and I asked an artist in our church to paint that phrase on my office wall with an ellipsis in front of it, which is dot, 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 to honor the king and advance the kingdom. Cool. And I I had her put it where if I'm sitting in my chair at my desk and somebody was sitting there saying, why do you do that? Remember, I thought, mm. man, we're just playing games. Yeah. If they ever said, why do you do that? I wanted to just be able to point at my wall. I love that. And and the answer to that question always being to honor the king and advance the kingdom. Mm. It's interesting uh, that that actually began as a freshman in college. I could take you to a spot in northeast Georgia where I'm walking down a particular street uh, on this campus. And I had heard people talking about having a life verse. Again, my spiritual insecurity kicked in, and I mm. thought, I got no idea what you're yeah. talking about, and I certainly don't have one of those. And so I remember praying, Lord, would you give me some verse you want me to hold on to? Mm. Super clear, Matthew 6.33, seek first his righteousness and his kingdom. I'll take care of everything mm. else, right? And so this theme of just being a part of the kingdom of God advancing was something that the Lord just birthed in my heart mm. back in those days. Eight years later on a mountaintop says, hey, Kent, just honor the king and advance the kingdom. Mm. Five years after that, now go do it for the district. 
And it's just been this mantra as we've walked through the last two or three years. I look at it and think, where else, where else would I ever possibly point people Mm. for the answers? There is a king and there's a kingdom that is so much greater than anything this world has to offer. And man, the more I could help people experience the king and his kingdom, the more I could help them enter into the realm of the kingdom of God and live under the reign of the king. Mm. There's just nothing greater. Also goes back to the idea of not just stepping in the gate, but there's a kingdom Mm. and there's an incredible king and we were invited in. So if I can help you get there, I'll give my life to that. So cool. Uh, we had two surprise questions from Andrew Rutten sent in, but we're not going to, I'm going to have you back on and we're going to dispute, if you will, those with him sometime, if you'll come Ooh, on in the future. You got me curious. I know. I'll, I'll tell you them Do after. Do I at least get to hear the I'll questions? I'll tell you them after. I won't say, I'll tell them, I'll tell you after recording and then we'll have you back on and you and Andrew can talk with them and I'll just mediate the conversation. That would be fun. <laughs> okay. What is a piece of scripture the Lord is currently using to encourage, exhort, or convict you with lately? Uh, watch this. Daniel chapter 2, verse 11. So this is Nebuchadnezzar, Babylonian king. He's He's got this dream, and he wants to to get the interpretation of the dream. So he goes to the wisest people of the land and says— not only do you have to interpret the dream, but so I know you know what you're doing, you actually have to tell me what the dream is. So it's mm-hmm. not just, I'm going to tell you the dream and then you interpret it. He says, you tell me the dream and you give the interpretation. Mm-hmm. All the wise people in the land are saying that's impossible. Mm-hmm. Nobody can do that. Here, here's the verse. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. I read that just a couple of days ago, and I thought, that right there is our world. That there is this sense that that even if there is a god, they don't live among men. And I thought, wait, 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 wait. Ours does. Mm. And and how crazy is that? Yeah. It doesn't line up with any any worldly thinking whatsoever. Gods don't live with men, except ours. And I thought, what an incredible picture of his grace, of his love, that he would choose to do life with us. Pretty fun picture. Wow. So cool. Okay, so someone out there is... God willing, listening to this and maybe for the first time thinking, I want to respond to the gospel. I want to surrender my whole life to Jesus. What is a tangible next step for them? What advice do you have for them? Today is the day of salvation, is what the writer of Hebrews says. And I I can think of long lists of reasons why people say, I'm not ready to make a decision to entrust my life to him yet. And I just think, oh, you don't know what you're missing. You don't know the life you're missing. You don't know the hope you're missing. You don't know the freedom you're missing. Mm. And for most of us, we've tasted enough of the world's answers to know we're probably not going to find it yeah. in the world's in the world's ways. And so it urged them 
There's no greater journey in all your life. I tell people it's like it's like the kid jumping on the roller coaster. You can fight and scream your way through life and hold on for dear life, or you can entrust that thing to Jesus <laughs> and throw your hands in the air and just go for the ride. Mm. I would urge people. There's a lot of reasons to run through your head of why this isn't the time. I'd encourage them to just take the plunge. Jesus has got a pretty incredible journey for you. Mm. Love that. All right, to wrap up our conversation today, we have some rapid fire questions. Keyword rapid, keyword fire. Are you ready? Yeah. I know you don't like the Enneagram, but you kind of Rachel this Enneagram number if but you hate it. I don't think I said I hate it. I just don't know it that <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. I'm a one. Okay. Favorite book all time. Book called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. Hmm. Favorite song right now. My Jesus. Is it Ann Wilson? Yes, so good. Not so much because of Ann Wilson, but my kids are are super musical, and my littlest one sings the lights out of that song, Stop. and I think, oh, it's so fun. That's amazing. I love that. Favorite song all time? I don't know. Okay, that's okay. Favorite food? We eat a lot of tacos. Love it. Like chicken, beef, all of it? A lot of tacos. Love it. Favorite Bible teacher to listen to? A guy named Torsten Moritz. You've never heard of him. Mm-hmm. Junior uh, German theologian. Okay. Did my seminary classes. Cool. Where'd you go to seminary? Took my head to places I never imagined. Uh, a place called Bethel Seminary up in St. Paul, Minneapolis. Cool. Favorite podcast? This one. No. Stop. <laughs> Maddie, I shouldn't say this. I'm terrible at podcasts. Oh, that's okay. Back to, to the noise thing. I just no, I'm terrible at like listening and following podcasts. That's okay. I'm terrible. I don't have a favorite. Okay. Amazing. How's that? That's great. Yeah. Um, something not many people know about you. Well, you do now if you're listening. I've got an identical twin brother. Yeah. And if he walked in the room, you wouldn't have a clue. Amazing. What what was that like growing up? Did you guys love it? Did you dress the same? Um, Did you ever switch classes? That's what I want to know. Uh, we switched certain things. Okay. The students would always rat you out. They'd know. So the teacher wouldn't know, right. but the students couldn't contain themselves. Classic. I love it. Okay, this question wasn't on there, but who has had the biggest impact on your walk with the Lord? Probably my oldest brother. Cool. Where's he yeah. at now? He is in Wadsworth, Ohio. Not the one doing the same thing as you. He is the third. Okay, cool. Yeah, just about seven years ahead of me. That's awesome. What are you loving right now? Could be anything. I'm having a ton of fun with my wife and my kids these days. Mm. We've just got a lot of good stuff. I love that. A lot of fun. So fun. How can our friends listening today be praying for you? Yeah, it's a great question. I appreciate it. Uh, without going into the whole story, my district, the office I work in is about to go through massive transition. We've got a number of retirements, staff roles will shift, my role probably shifts. And so it's an exciting like blank slate kind of season mm-hmm. where we get to build out a bunch of stuff, yeah. but it's it's going to be a lot. Yeah. So I've got a, a bit of a tidal wave coming at me in the next few months. Okay. If you're listening, would you just take a moment after you're done or right now and just pray for Kent? Um, Anything else that we didn't talk about that you wanted to touch on? 
No, but I want to hear the Andrew Rutten questions and have this conversation. You want to hear them live right now? You want me to tell you? Yeah. yeah. Okay, they are. This will just be a cliffhanger for our listeners to then when you when I have you guys. No, because this is my shot to respond without him in okay, the room okay. yet. Okay, you, okay, you can respond right now. Okay, he wants to know why he isn't. <laughs> Why, no, why he doesn't submit to the Bible's teaching on pastors being synonymous with elders. And the other question, what convinced him to be an egalitarian? Wow. Do you want to answer them both right now? <laughs> so a, a couple of things. One, Rutten just made some conclusions on both of those things that uh, have a lot of faulty assumption built in. Jeez, A-Rutt. So egalitarianism, I don't do labels, period. So if somebody said, are you a complementarian or an egalitarian or for Andrew, are you a Calvinist or an Arminianist? Mm -hmm. I refuse to take on the labels Cool. because the moment I I take on some sort of a label, you just painted your own picture in your head. Yeah. So for Andrew to use language like egalitarian (laughs) or complementarian neither of which are found in scripture Mm. and neither of which are helpful. Mm. And so Andrew needs to go back to the drawing board (laughs) on his question asking. And if he wants to have conversation around biblical perspective, am I I taking a shot at him (laughs) here, Maddie? I kind of love it. If he wants to go back to scripture and have conversation around the roles of men and women in the local church and what the Bible does and doesn't say, (laughs) glad to have it. We're just not bringing labels into it because I'm not, yeah. I don't buy into the labels. I can respect that. I actually really like that. Wait, did you want to touch on if you, the Bible's teaching on pastors being synonymous with elders? I also should preface that Kent and Andrew are really good friends. So, <laughs> uh, Historically, we had been good friends until I did the Maddie <laughs> Schultz podcast. No, uh, love Andrew to death. Uh, he is an iron sharpening iron kind of guy in my life. Greatly appreciate and he and I have a lot of uh, bantering kind of conversations. In the midst of that, regularly walk away from my time with Andrew, growing, and so love him like crazy. So cool. But he is wrong <laughs> in some of his assumptions. It is a it's an interesting conversation to deal with our pastor and elder synonymous. And to try to detangle that from American ecclesiology is really hard. Uh, if you just go to scripture, I challenge you to find the word pastor in the Bible. It will show up in one place. Mm. And in that one place, it is not in reference to anything to do with elders. There's no reference to eldership there at all. And if you go into the Greek words, uh, you see that even more clearly. So I don't. So you don't think they're the same? I don't see the word pastor and the word yeah. elder as being synonymous. Mm-hmm. Do they share similar function? Sure. But are they synonymous for me? No. Do I understand how yeah. Rutten and others get there? Yeah. And I would love to have that conversation with him anytime. Amazing, folks. We will have them back on soon, hopefully. Uh, Kent, this was such a treat. Learned so much from you and have learned so much from you from hearing you preach in the past. So just so grateful to have you here today. So thank you. Great to be with you, Manny. 
I am 100% sure I want to be like Kent Sobine when I grow up. I'm wildly encouraged by this guy's life, and I pray that you were today too. If you were encouraged by this episode at all, would you please take a minute to share it with your friends and family or to your social media spaces? Would you take a moment and leave a review or rating? I would deeply appreciate it. The Sunday in 65 Book Club book for June, inspired by Kent in this conversation, is the book he mentioned, By a Cabin by Robert Frank. So invite some friends in and join us in reading it. If you would like to stay updated on the podcast, book club, and or my newsletters, there's a link in the show notes to subscribe to my emails. Friends, as always, go be bold and love big, and we will see you next time.